Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to the following message provided by Renewed Church. We pray that this message will be a blessing and encouragement for you. For more information about our church, please visit www.renew.miami. Anyway, welcome. Welcome to Home Improvement. How many of you are glad to be here, man? Let me hear something from you. Amen. It's coming live this morning for the next few minutes. My clock is slow, so we're going to get you out in time, but uh, it's about an hour. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we're, we're uh, on, on point to uh, get through and, and start in this message series. But man, just want to encourage you as we get into this series, on your seat is the home improvement invites. These aren't for you. You're already here. These are for your friends. These are for your family. These are for somebody that you want to be here. And if you need some extras of these, I'm sure we can get them out on the welcome table on your way out. But that series, Home Improvement, was something that was kind of like my Tuesday night tradition back in the 90s. Anybody remember the, the show Home Improvement? Tim the Toolman Taylor, this crazy guy that always had the biggest and the best tools. He had this crazy like growl thing. I can't even do it. I don't even want to try to do it. But he never, he knew how to fix stuff, but he never knew how to fix his family. But at just the right time, his mysterious neighbor, Wilson, would stick his face over the fence, just giving him just those eyes on that with that fisherman hat on and give him the perfect advice on how to deal with his wife and his three sons. So we're in this series talking about how to improve your family. Why? Because building houses is hard, but building spiritual homes is critical. Like, it's one thing to build a house and to get it right physically and, and, and I mean, you know, literally the construction of a, a house, but a spiritual home is not just hard. It is critical to the future of your kids and to your family, not just for today, but for the generations to come. It will impact your kids and your kids' kids for the generations to come. So we're talking about home improvement for that reason. Home improvement is huge. Anybody remember this guy, let me, let me see, you guys have, not that one, that's, that's uh, the, last video, the last clip. Anybody remember this other guy? Do you have Bob Vila up there? Do you have a picture of him? I'm not sure if you do or not. Nope, that is not Bob Vila. <laughs> anyway, we're working on our slides, but we'll, we'll try to get those together. Bob Vila was this guy, and obviously our sound booth is too young to even know who Bob Vila is. But Bob Vila was this guy... From, from the early 90s, even late 80s, this old house. You guys remember that? Raise your hand. Let me know. Have you, have you heard of Bob Vila? That was like the original home improvement. And it was in a time when they actually worked on the house. Like Bob Vila actually knew what he was doing. He wasn't one of these people that pretend to work on the house, to hammer a few nails, and then when the camera goes off to jump back in, you know, your luxury sedan, right? Like Bob Vila probably really drove a truck and he literally had a toolbox with tools in it. But nowadays that's not the case. Nowadays on the TV shows that I watch, these people are designing on a dime and, and they, they're, they're dressed, you know, like a million bucks, right? They're, they're doing all of these things, pretending like they can put it all together. But in reality, I'm not sure that they can do everything that they say they can. Some of them might, but others of them are just really, really good, you know, great personalities, great actors with a good personality that talk a little bit about a house. So they got shows like Design on a Dime and Property Brothers. Clap if you like one of these, all right? If you don't, then, then uh, don't. Curb Appeal. How about Flip or Flop? Anybody like Flip or Flop? A couple of you like Flip or Flop. Rehab Addict. 
Man, one of my favorite was a few years ago, Extreme Makeover, right? When they would take the whole house and, and totally remodel it. And then there's those tiny house shows. I don't want to hear anybody clap at that. Those things are stupid. Like, who needs to live in that thing? Like, yeah, it's a fun idea, but literally, is it practical at all? If you live in a tiny house, I apologize. Come see me after. I want a tour of your house. I need, you know, about two seconds of your time to look at it, you know? <laughs> and then there's these stupid tree houses. Don't even get me started on that. Like, who, who has a million dollars to do a tree house? You know, here's why these things are so popular, though. Here's why home improvement shows are so popular. One, number one, because it's easy as seen on TV, right? It's so easy. In 30 minutes, you went from a house that you wouldn't even want to let your pizza guy in, like you're like literally taking the pizza and closing the door because you don't want him to see what you live in, to a home that is so amazing that at the end of the 30 minutes, you're having this huge block party. You have 100 friends. Everybody's like out there just having the most amazing time in your house, and it all happened in 30 minutes. It was a transformation that was just really, really easy and unrealistic, like all you need to redo your bathroom and your kitchen and make the home of your dreams is a 30-minute show and about $50,000. Like who has that? Who has $50,000 to throw at a bathroom and a kitchen like at any given moment for a, for a TV show? It's easy, it's unrealistic, and we love to dream about these things. We love to watch these things and consider these things. We, we like to, to envision what it would be like by watching it on television. But better yet, even better than what you can see on TV is walking through that home. You guys, anybody go to model homes? Anybody like to go through model homes? My wife and I like to go through these model homes. And um, it, there's some in my neighborhood where I live. My neighborhood is about four or five years old. We just moved there about a year ago. But they're still building out. And I think that's a bad sign. I think it's because they're not, like, selling as fast as they want. But in the model homes in my neighborhood, just a few blocks from here, there's these three-bedroom, three-bath homes, 11-foot ceilings. That landscape is unbelievable. I mean, the smell is like, it, it smells like somebody is just home cooking all day long. I don't know how they do that because no one's cooking. It's 24-inch marble tile, uh, cool 72-degree temperature. The upstairs even had a punching bag hanging from the ceiling like anybody's going to have that in their house. Granite everything, stainless everything, infinity pool out in the backyard. The model homes are unbelievable, right? You can go and check them out if you want. I'll give you my address later, and you can go see the ones, not my house, but the ones down the street. I don't live in a model home. But... The, the homes that you buy after looking at the model home are not the homes that are seen in the model. I mean, those are the ones that are with upgrades. Upgrades. That's what everything that I just described is. Because really, the 3-3 three, three is a 3-2 standard package. So you had to pay for that extra bathroom. It's a 3-2, unfurnished, and it's $420,000. And it's, guess what? Fully carpeted fully carpet? <laughs> Who wants carpet? I paid $420,000 and you're going to put carpet in my house? Like throughout, maybe a little bit in the bathroom and in, in the kitchen area. But $420,000. As shown, these models are like trying to go for $500 plus. $500,000 with all of the upgrades. Not realistic and not easy, right? 
just doesn't make sense. But we love to dream, and we love to envision, and we love to think about that. This series, Home Improvement, for the next three weeks is a series about building actually stronger families. I won't spend a ton of time talking all the time about houses, but you can have a beautiful house. You can have this beautiful place to live in, fully upgraded, infinity pool out back, but if you don't care, take care of your home, and I mean your spiritual home, even as beautiful as it is, as amazing as it may look and smell and feel, your spiritual home can fall apart in no time at all. And it doesn't matter how nice your house is if you have no spiritual home. You've got to take care of your spiritual home. I want to get into the text this morning. Got, got quite a bit that I want to share, and I want to make sure that we get you guys out. I know there's a game. There's some kind of a, uh, I think it's a soccer game or something today. I can't remember. Something at 1 o'clock. The um, porpoises or something. I can't, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyway, we start, we're starting in the book of Ephesians, all right? And, and here it is. And, and uh, this, the book of Ephesians is this letter written to a church, quite possibly actually, if you do some research on it, a group of churches that Paul was uh, in charge of, that Paul started. And Paul loved this church. He loved the Ephesian church. And the reason we know it is, is because you can actually go into Acts chapter 19 and 20, which are the corresponding chapters to the starting work of the Ephesian church, and you can read this in, in relation to what happened with the Ephesians. He gives them this farewell in Acts chapter 20 and 21, where it says that he knelt down with them and he prayed, and they wept as they embraced and kissed him. And what grieved them most was the statement that they would never see his face again. That's Acts chapter 20, the last few verses. They were so in love with each other. They so cared for one another. It wasn't just one of these relationships where he's like, I'm going to start a church here, 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 and here, and, and then I'm just going to keep on moving. No, they had such a passion for one another and care for one another, but he knew that when he said goodbye to these people, this would be the last time that they would see each other on earth physically again. And it says that uh, they had to literally tear themselves apart from each other as they were saying goodbye. So he's left them, and in the Ephesian letter, he writes them this letter. Uh, obviously, I just said that. And he writes to them about who they are in Christ and how to live like it. Because if you are in Christ, you need to live a certain way. He talks about being children of light, not being in, in indulging in every kind of impurity and, and uh, living in such a way that people can see who you are and want to emulate your life. He talks about putting on the full armor of God because our struggle is not against just this physical, just the flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in this dark world. And this is what he says in the, about the family in the last chapter in Ephesians chapter 6. So he takes time out of these six chapters. He takes a piece of this time to talk about the family in Ephesians chapter 6. And this is what he says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Then he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Okay, so um, I want to kind of give you just like a little bit of a, a, a side note to this scripture in Ephesians 6. If you look at the tiny print at the bottom of your Bibles and in the margins of mine, there's this note, like a footnote down at the bottom that says Deuteronomy 5 verse 16. And this is referencing where Paul is quoting what he just said to them, and he's quoting it from 
his scripture from the old covenant, from the Old Testament. So he's not just saying to them on his own, children, obey your parents because you should. No, he's literally quoting Old Testament scripture. So in Deuteronomy 5, God has given them this scripture. He's given the Israelites the law, this Ten Commandments, if you will. And he gave it to Moses on the mountain. And now Paul is giving this same scripture to us. Okay, so let me give you a little bit of background on the Ten Commandments. First of all, here's the Ten Commandments. You may have uh, seen that movie a long time ago, Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments. And, and Moses, he comes down from the mountain and, and he has these two stone tablets, all of that. Okay, so the Ten Commandments, they were given to the Israelites. The Israelites, that's the name of the nation, this group of people, God's chosen people, they were descendants of Jacob, and Jacob's other name was Israel. So the Israelites came from Israel, who was Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac, and Isaac was the son of Abraham, Father Abraham. Maybe you've heard of Father Abraham. The father of the nation who was shown the stars in Genesis 12 when God says to him, hey, look up to the sky. And as numerous as the stars are, so shall your descendants be. And this is at a time when Abraham's like almost 100 years old and he is, his wife is barren. And he's like, how are we going to do this? But he was shown this and saying, this is going to be your descendants. This Israelite nation, though, had been taken into captivity they had become slaves. This is several generations later. This is several years later. And the Israelites are not looking good right now. They don't look like they're going to become this great nation because they become slaves to Egypt. But God has a plan to deliver them out of slavery and into the promised land. Okay, so here's, here's what happens. The Israelites get in slavery. God's promising to them, though, you're going to be delivered through Moses. Moses is going to take them into the promised land. But from slavery to the promised land, there's this 40-year gap in between. It's called the wilderness wandering. It's called the time in which they were disobedient and they were trying to figure out what they were supposed to do, but they kind of continued to follow their own you know, personal, physical passion and desire and just being disobedient to God. And in the middle of that, God says to them, okay, I'm going to have to like write this down for you. I'm going to have to tell you what you need to do because you don't seem to get it right. You don't seem to have this figured out. So he gives them what we know as the law or the Ten Commandments. So maybe you've heard of the Ten Commandments. Maybe you've seen the Ten Commandments. Maybe you have them memorized. But let me just kind of summarize them for just a minute. The Ten Commandments are these commands that God says, these are the things you should do and you shouldn't do. And the first four are commandments that are in relationship to God. These are the things that you're supposed to do in relationship to between me and God. So in other words, have no other gods before me. Honor the Sabbath day. Don't take my name in vain. Those are the reasons why we don't even say certain words, you know, in, in a negative uh, light, or I don't, and my family doesn't. So the first four are in relationship to God. The last six are in relationship to man. The last six are things like, hey, um, don't steal, don't covet, don't lie, don't murder. You see the difference? Like the first four are doing things that are in relationship to God, and the last six are in relationship to man. But the first of those six, commandment number five, is the commandment that the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesians. And it's the commandment that he says, this is the first one with promise. I don't know about you, but I, I know for me, I want a promise. 
especially when it comes from God. I want the promises of God. He says in, in the fifth commandment, he says, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Honor your father and mother, but he doesn't stop there. That's what we always memorize. But he says that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So, we love to talk about grace. I'm a, I'm a proponent of grace. I love it. There's grace for your sin. And God's grace is sufficient for you. And you don't earn grace. There's nothing you can do to, to, to cause uh, God to, to uh, earn that salvation that God has given you. It's a free gift of Jesus Christ through the cross of Christ because of his debt, because of his death on the cross. But the blessing of God is a different thing than the grace of God. The blessing of God is going to require that you do certain things, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. That's what God says. That's what the Word of God says. That's not what I say. So there's a difference between grace and blessing. And one of the ways in which to receive the blessing of God is by doing just what this says, which is to honor your mother and your father, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So he gives these commands to the people. And then listen to the follow-up in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and 6. It's also recorded in Exodus 20, but I want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want you to, to hear this as we talk about building uh, our spiritual families. This is what it says, Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands, the decrees and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children, and that your children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. You hear it again. You hear him talking about this. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. And that you may increase greatly in the land, flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Okay, so he's, they're in the middle of the wandering. They've left slavery, but they haven't made the promised land. And he's saying, just as the, your ancestors promised you, just as it was promised to Abraham. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. In verse 5, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So impress them on your children and talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. He says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build and houses with all kinds of good things that you did not provide and wells that you did not dig. In other words, he's going to take you into an already developed land, an already uh, established uh, location. These places, vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, then you will eat. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of slavery. Man, I want to I just emphasize a couple of things. First of all, in verse 5, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He's reminding the, the Israelites that you've got to, before you can even get to the rules, you've got to have the relationship. 
So you sometimes just want to say, what am I supposed to do? How do I earn this? How do I get this done? Give me the rules. And God's saying, no, there's got to be a relationship first. Because I love you. I care about you. But do you love me? And how do you love me? He says, love me with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then verse 6, he says, and these commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Okay, so he's about to tell them how to do it for his kids. But he says, before you can even do it for your kids, before I can show you what you need to do and how you set the example for them, the thing is, is the truth must be in you before it can be in them. Okay, so it's not just, okay, I just got the list. Moses just wrote it down for me. Here's what it is. Now you just take it and read it and memorize it. No, he says, you've got to put it in your own heart. These things that I'm giving to you, you've got to put them on your heart. They've got to be in you before it can be in them. So we're about to get to the kids. We're about to talk about the kids. We're about to talk about what you have to do for your children. But before we can talk about your children, we've got to talk about you. We've got to talk about your relationship with God and how, it is, how is it with you and God. And, and then we've got to talk about is it really in you? Is it just one of these things that you're just kind of thinking, man, if I can get this right, then my kids will be all right? Or is it really a relationship that you have? Is the truth fully and completely in you? And then God goes on to tell them, don't forget these decrees that I just shared with you. And he like mentions it over and over and over. He says, impress it upon them. Talk about it. Talk to them. Like have these kind of conversations with your kids as you walk along the road. When you lie down, when you're about to go to bed, and when you wake up in the morning, tie them on symbols, as symbols on your hands. Like, let them know who you are and what you believe. Bind them on your foreheads and on your gates. In, in the, the uh, Jewish culture, the, um, the Jews that are the most serious, and I just blanked on the name of those Jewish people. What is it? Orthodox Jews. They have, like, if you go to Miami Beach, you'll see some, the, the, the ones that have the, the long hair and they wear the robes and everything like that. Some of them will even have this thing tied around their, their, their head, and it's like a little box. And they take the Scripture so literal that they actually put a little ball inside a box and they tie it around their head. Like, that's how serious they take it. And he says... Put them on your foreheads, on the doorframe of your house, and on your gates. Like, we're under a new covenant, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ. Like, he has given us this unbelievable opportunity to, regardless of who we are, like us as Gentiles, most of us are probably not Jewish, but we have uh, been saved because uh, God has extended his hand to us and said, hey, you're welcome to be a part of the family of God. So we don't have to do all of those things. But I'm just asking you this question. Like, how impressive is your, your uh, relationship with God to your kids? Like, are, is it being impressed on them? Are you talking about that when you, when you lie down and when you get up and when you drive along the, the road and, and, and everything that you do? Like, is there anything in your home that makes your family know, wow, my parents are... My mom is a, a follower of Jesus. My, my dad loves God, and you see it in his life. You see it in who he is. Because your kids are going to do what you do. 
They're going to follow in your footsteps. It's that, that whole idea. Sometimes we, we, we try this thing of don't do what I do. Do what I say. But it doesn't work. I'm not going to show the video, Gaby, but maybe it, it's going to age me a little bit. But when I was a kid, I remember this, this commercial and, and maybe you've seen it as I describe it. It was a public service announcement of a, a kid that was like there in his bedroom and he's like listening to music. He's got his earphones in and everything. And his dad storms in the room, bl- breaks open the door and shows him this box with drugs in it. And he's like, where'd you get this stuff? Who showed you how to do this? Why are you doing this stuff? You remember this show? Anybody remember this? And the, and the, the son looks up to his dad after a second, after trying to like kind of uh, backpedal for just a second. He's like, I learned it by watching you, dad. I'm not a great actor. I learned it by watching you. Dad was like, do what I say, not what I do. But that doesn't work. It doesn't work in your life. It doesn't work with your kids. It doesn't work with the people that you're trying to reach because they're not doing what you say. They're doing what you do. What are, your, what are your sons and daughters? What are your kids? What do they see when they look at your life? Aunts and uncles, what do your nieces and nephews see when they look at your life? Uh, it doesn't matter. Grandparents, what do they see? Like it, it, Teachers, what do your students see when they look at your life? What kind of example are you setting for them? God is telling the children of the promise that if they want to be a great nation, they've got to honor their parents. This is a commandment with a promise that you'll have a long life, that you'll experience the blessing of God. But right after he tells that to them, he says to the parents, it's your job to lead them. It's your responsibility to show them. It's your job to remind them. So as we talk about the series and as we begin this series today, there's three things that I kind of want to emphasize this morning as we talk about how to build a strong home. The number one is start with a good foundation. Start with a solid foundation. Matthew chapter 7 says that everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Man, maybe it started wrong. And if that's the case, guess what? Remodels are possible. Even if it takes one of those extreme makeovers, even if it takes one of those things where you just literally come in with the bulldozer and you knock that thing over, that would be a better option than just trying to put some paint on it. Because if the foundation is wrong, you've got to get to the base of what's going on. You've got to get to the bottom of it and stop just trying to cover it up with pretty landscaping and new paint. Second thing is, is you've got to be the model. The second thing is you have to be the model, not the standard package. Man, what if you lived in such a way that when people looked at your life as it relates to God, they wouldn't say, oh, he's like the standard Christian. What if they looked at your life like, like people look at the houses down the street from my house? Because 
they might say, wow, Trevor, you have a nice house. But if, they, if, if I lived in that model one, the model of my home, they'd be like, whoa, can I come swim in the infinity pool? Like, what if your life reflected that? Like, when people looked at your life, you weren't just the standard package. But when they saw your faith, they saw your passion, they would say, man, what that person has is good. But what he has, wow, that is amazing. And I want what he has. Like, why are we settling for the standard package when the opportunity to have an upgrade is right in front of us? Maybe it's time to do an upgrade because you want what the Lord has promised to the Israelites and, and, and what Paul reiterated to the Ephesians in, in the New Testament, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Like, you want these things for you, but also for your kids. So stop settling for good enough. Like, yes, there's grace and I want grace, and I, I, I'm thankful for the unmerited favor of God that I didn't earn. But I, in addition to the grace of God, want the blessing of God on my home and on my family and on their future. So number one, get a good foundation. Number two, be the model. And number three, get help. Call the professional. Call the professional. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, and this is uh, my friend Raymond's favorite verse, and, and he says it's God's phone number. He says, call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and unsearchable things, things you do not know. Jeremiah 33, 3. Man, we need to call the professional, and, and sometimes that's just directly to God, and other times it's having other people that are strong in faith to pray with you, to hold up your arms, to encourage you, to walk with you in whatever it is that you're going through. James chapter 5 says, is any of you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone sick? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Verse 16, it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Man, we need to get help. We need to call on the elders of the church. We need to call on those people that are, that are, are, are mature believers, those that are not in the standard package, but those that, are, that, that we can lean on and say, man, I'm just going through this, and I can't go it alone. I need your help. You know, that's where small groups comes in. That's where what we're going to be launching this week, and I hope that you'll meet us out in the, the tables in the courtyard on your way out and check out one of those groups that meet throughout the week, even one on Tuesday morning that we can encourage one another, that we can lift up one another, that we can build like solid relationships and not just to receive, but also to give, to be able to, to, to pour out because it, it, there is something good about being able to pour out into other people and making an impact on other people. You walk away from that even more filled up than you did after, than before you met with those people. So, so call the professional and call on your friends and those people that, that, have that same concern and that same relationship as you. In conclusion, this is uh, my, my, my closing thoughts here as we kind of get ready to receive communion this morning. I was driving on Friday through Texas, headed to my brother's home just north of Austin. And on the way there, we passed through a town in the middle of Texas, in the middle of nowhere between Dallas and Austin. 
25 years ago, this place was known for a raid on a religious cult. And it went bad and lots of people died. Like, this is a dirty town with nothing to do there. People used to call this town Wacko. That was the nickname for this town that I'm about to tell you what its real name is. But a few years ago, this couple named Chip and Joanna Games, they started a home improvement business called Magnolia Homes, where they would help people turn an old run-down home house into the home of their dreams. They started this home improvement show called Fixer Upper, where they help people to do this, and people watch them from the comfort of their homes. And then they bought these old rundown grain silos in the middle of Waco, not Waco, Waco. And they renovated them and they started selling overpriced cupcakes and other home accessories and expensive decor items. And all of a sudden, people are literally coming from all over the country to visit this dirty little town in the middle of nowhere, Texas. That one movement That one couple has changed the entire city of Waco. It's not quite as dirty of a town. As we were driving through it, I was like, man, look at all the upgrades. And look at all these new businesses. We didn't stop, but we were just driving through. And as we stopped, we, I mean, as we were driving through, you could see the silos off to the side. And you could see the, the home of Chip and Joanna, their, their, their business and their restaurant and all those things that they've, they've developed. But in addition to that, there's all these other businesses that have began to grow. And just like the, the, the town doesn't look like the town that I knew when I was a kid. It's no longer Waco, Texas. It's become Waco, Texas and a destination for people that literally choose to take their vacations and go and visit this place. You know, if one couple in a home improvement business could change the reputation and feeling of this place in the middle of Texas, from Waco to Waco, from a flyover town to a destination place for thousands of people every single week. If one couple in a home improvement business could do that, man, what could home improvement do for your family? Like what could spiritual home improvement do for your kids, for your relationships with your spouse, those people that you live with? What could home improvement do for your church, Renew Church? Like if we literally saw that kind of change through a, 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 a remodel business, what could spiritual home improvement do for Renew Church? Man, I'm believing that there wouldn't be room for people in this auditorium if there was real home improvement in each and every home, including mine. What would it do not just for my family? What would it do not just for this church? What would it do for our city? If a home improvement business in the middle of Waco, Texas could change a city physically and bring industry and new businesses and jobs and all of that, what could a spiritual home improvement do for the city of Miami? What could it do for our community? What could it do for our neighborhoods and all the people that we come in contact every single day? Man, our vision is to lead people to a renewed life in Christ. But it starts with us. Remember, it starts with us. Like, 
when when uh, he, they were given, the Israelites were given that command, they were told what to do. Remember, it started by impressing it on your own heart. It had to be in your own heart before you could start trying to feed it to other people. And the same is the case with us. This morning, we're going to receive communion together. And as we kind of prepare our hearts for this, man, if you would say to me, Pastor, I need to do some work in my home. I need some spiritual home improvement. And I'm not really sure where it begins. I just know I need it. Let's start with the foundation. Let's uh, call some experts. And let's start trying to be the model to those people that are, that, are, that are watching us. Stop saying, do what I say, not what I do. Let's start saying, do what I do. Follow me. Come with me as I try to grow in my relationship with God. And stand with me, would you? We're going to pray together. If you would say, Pastor, that's me this morning. I'm not going to bring you to the front or anything like that. But with your heads bowed, would you just bow your heads right where you're at? If that's you this morning and you would say, just Pastor, I'm asking you to pray for me because I want improvement in my family. I see your hand back in the back. Just lift your hand. I see your hands. I see your hands. Praise God. Anybody else? I won't wait long. Anybody else? Praise God. God, you know them. You know where they're at. We just ask that you would just do a, a, a home improvement renovation over their spiritual home. More importantly than the physical, more importantly than, than all the material things that we have and that come, come in and out of our lives that will rust away as your word promises. God, I pray that we would work on the things that last forever. The relationship with you and the relationship with our kids and our families. God, help us, I pray. We need a renovation. Maybe this morning you haven't even taken that first step, and that's a, this is the best place to be for that. I want to say welcome to Renew Church. If that's you this morning, I want to say, man, you're, you're in a great spot because it, it starts by just saying, God, I'm, I'm here, and I surrender to you. It doesn't start with work. It doesn't start with trying to know and memorize all kinds of things and understand what prayer is and how to pray and all these things. It's really about raising the white flag, the flag of surrender and just saying, Lord Jesus, I surrender me to you. The thing that I have total control of, which is me, I surrender me to you. And I ask you to be my Lord and to be my Savior, to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins transform me from the inside out. If that's your prayer today and you would just say, I want to raise the white flag again, I'm not going to bring you to the front. I'm not going to call you out. But if that's you today and you want to raise that white flag, just lift your hand right where you're at and say, Pastor, that's me. If that's you, raise your hand. I won't wait long. So Heavenly Father, you know where we're at. God, you know each and every hand, every heart. God, you know what we deal with on a daily basis, oh God. We surrender everything we have to you. God, some of our homes are a mess. Physically on the outside, it may look perfect, but on the inside and in, 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 in the spiritual, God, there's just all kinds of problems. And we are asking you to do a reno in our house, starting with me. 
starting in my life. Help me, I pray, oh God. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can pray a simple prayer to yourself as I pray it out loud that goes like this. Heavenly Father, I need you as a Savior in my life. I need Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner and that I've made mistakes. And I'm praying that you would, asking that you would forgive me of my sins. That you'd come into my life and make me brand new. Because Jesus died for me, I want to live for you. And today I'm declaring you as my Lord, my Savior. God, do what you can do in me. I give you control of my life today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, this morning is uh, it's second Sunday. Normally we do communion on first Sunday. But as you know, we had a hurricane last month, last week, so we didn't do it. So we're going to receive communion as the musicians lead us in this final song. And uh, you don't have to be a member of uh, the church. We celebrate open communion. All you have to do to receive communion today is be a member of the body of Christ, that you are one of those that at some point in your past have lifted your hand and declared Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So what I'm going to do as the musicians play, you're just going to kind of come to the front. I'm going to invite our prayer team workers to help us on both sides if you can. And um, you're just going to receive the elements, the cup and the juice, and then go back, probably forming a line as we always do, just coming down these two center aisles and then receiving them and going out the, uh, on, the, on the sides of the, um, of the rows, okay, going back to your seat. Don't eat of them until I give further instructions. So I'll give that uh, at the end, at the end of this song. But let's go ahead and receive that. If you don't want to receive, if you're not prepared to receive, that's okay. Nobody's going to judge you. You could stay right where you're at while the rest of, uh, uh, of this church gathers for communion. Thank you. Come to the water, all who are thirsty. Come and feel 
for us, for our sins. He celebrated his last supper, his last meal with his disciples, those 12 men that had walked with him, ministered with him, did all of this with him. And it was the Passover meal. It was that time together they were going to eat uh, the Passover, which was uh, remembrance of the deliverance of the Israelites out of slavery uh, through the Passover, through the Passover lamb, by the blood of the Passover lamb. Jesus said, from this point forward, whenever you eat of this bread and whenever you drink of this cup, don't do it in remembrance of them. And so we're doing what's been commanded thousands of years ago, 2,000 plus years ago, and still happening today. He said, whenever you eat of this bread, drink of this cup, do it in remembrance of me and be thankful. So we do this making sure that our hearts are pure, that our, our mind is right, that our relationship with God is right. We're just saying, God doing what you call me to in communion with you I'm going to take and I'm going to eat of this bread let's eat this together in remembrance of him and be thankful after the supper he took the cup he said this poured out this is my blood shed for you to preserve you blameless unto everlasting life drink this in remembrance of me and be thankful let's drink this together God, we thank you for your body broken, for your blood shed.
preserve us blameless and everlasting life. God, help us to become more and more like you, God, so that our kids and our kids' kids and everybody we're in contact with will watch us, watch our lives, and their lives would, be, would improve and their community would improve because of what is happening in our own personal life. Lord, we love you. We thank you for these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said together, amen, amen. Mikey, come on up. Awesome message today. Can we hear some noise for that? Home improvement, man. That's some awesome stuff, man. I just want to remind everybody that we are doing a small group sign up after this. And so like Pastor Trevor had touched on in his sermon, get help. This is this is one of those ways. This is one of those ways to, to be in that atmosphere where the spirit can move and, and things can happen. We've seen it here in this in this minute. We've seen it here that day that we had Circle Sunday. Some of you got to witness the just the beauty and, and God's hand working in a small group setting. So I just encourage you all to, to either sign up here. We can do it online and come chat with us outside. It'll be it'll be worth your time, I promise. And also, um, like I said, we're doing the Bahama Relief Collection. We'll do that today and also some next week. And remember that we do have a bounce house for the kids and we do have some ice cream. So go ahead and enjoy that as well. And this is um, the part of our service where we worship God through the giving of tithes and offerings. So I'm going to pray over that right now. God, thank you for the opportunity to worship you, God. Lord, we pray for this offering, God. We pray that the families here be blessed, God. I pray that you bless this offering, Lord, and the way that it's used in this ministry, Father. And we just thank you for the ability, God, to, to give to you, Lord, and serve you in this way, God. Pray for just all the families here, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody, that is it. You are now dismissed. I hope to see you guys outside.